Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad. All right, good to have you tuning in tonight. Tampa Bay now leading the Blue Jays 2-0 in the top of the 8th. We'll keep you updated on that one. I had the Jays on last night, uh, Monday Night Football, finished watching that game after the show. Kind of a wild finish between the Raiders and the Ravens. The Raiders got down to the half-yard line, couldn't get in, took a penalty, threw an interception, and then the Ravens driving to try to win the game, fumbled the ball, and then uh, the Raiders able to put it away. I didn't watch last night. Uh, well, okay, here's here's what I should say. Uh, I watched the what – what I'm watching while I'm hosting Inside Sports, I have the sound down. But a buddy texted me and said, are you watching the Manning brothers? And I was not. And then after the game, I watched the quote-unquote traditional feed. So I did not watch the feed that had Eli and Peyton talking about the game. Uh, And then I guess Russell Wilson joined them for the fourth quarter. So uh, I I think multiple feeds for live sporting events is probably – I don't want to say it's the wave of the future. I think it's something we're going to see more and more when it comes to live sports casts or live sports broadcasts. Um, but it seems like there were some mixed reviews at best anyway for the uh, Manning brothers. Maybe someday we'll get a feed here on 6.30 Ched. You'll have either Jack or Cam along with Bob calling the Oilers game, and then we could have like 6.30 Ched 2, and it would just be Rob and I uh, talking to people during the game, hearing all the stuff we talk about behind the scenes. Maybe it's better we don't do that, Rob. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not sure people really want to hear what we're saying behind the scenes. Yeah, we'd have to we'd have to be a little more aware, perhaps, of what uh, what we're talking about. How are you doing, buddy? It's good to talk to you. Yeah, it's been a while. I'm doing all right. Uh, starting to feel like hockey season's upon us. I'm, I'm back on the ice with my academy kids. Seems to be more and more in the papers and on TV and on the radio about the Oilers, about the NHL. It's you know getting to the nitty gritty for baseball playoffs. CFL started, NFL started. It's a good time to be a sports fan. And you're back uh, teaching at, because you do stuff at several academies, don't you? What's going on? Yeah, I'm back. I'm on the ice at St. Albert with St. Albert Sports Academy. And then next week I start St. FX in Edmonton and then NAX, which is based out of Devon. So I'm on the ice a lot coming up. And I guess we're only a couple weeks away from doing the first Oiler exhibition game. So life gets busy for me pretty soon. Yeah, that's good. Well, one of the highlights of my job, of course, is uh, getting to do the games with you, so I'm looking forward to that aspect of it soon. The Oilers rookie camp gets going tomorrow. So uh, take me back when you were a, an aspiring Pittsburgh Penguin, before you were even a Pittsburgh Penguin. Did, did uh, you have like, yeah. a rookie camp? What's that? <laughs> I don't. Yeah, I don't remember us having rookie camps. I do know that the first time that I ever went to training camp, uh, I was, I, I think I would have been 18 at that time when I got drafted. And uh, I was flying from Kamloops to Pittsburgh. And I remember my father and I read my ticket wrong. And we missed my flight out of Kamloops, which made us miss our f- connecting flight out of Calgary, which missed our connecting flight out of Toronto, which made me miss my 
getting into Pittsburgh in time for the opening night meeting. So my first ever training camp, I missed the first day of training camp because my father and I couldn't read a ticket very well. So it wasn't a good start for an 18-year-old fourth-round draft pick uh, having to call the Pittsburgh Penguins and say, okay, I'm stranded because I'm not smart enough to figure out how to fly from Kamloops to Pittsburgh. So not a great start in my NHL career. Now, who do you place that phone call to? Do you call the GM? Do you call just a random, uh, you know, general reception number and hope you get to leave a voicemail? So like, <laughs> I think there was a whoever sent the itinerary and the letter. There was a letter, the name, and I still remember the lady's name. Her name was Cindy Himes, and I still occasionally talk to Cindy. She's, she still works for the Penguins after all the year, these years. But, yeah, Cindy Himes had to look after me a lot through my career I, I was babysat a little bit by by cindy trying to get me i'm i was I'm, I'm forgetful now because i'm old but i was forgetful then because i was a little dozy so uh it was the first of many times that i had uh, uh to make a phone call to the penguins about something dumb that i'd done okay well there's stories for another day uh so when you are a rookie at, at training camp um I mean, what do you try to do? Like, do you, do you try to introduce yourselves to the people sitting around you? Do you just sit back and say, okay, if the vets want to come up and say hi to me, I'm just going to try to stay, stay out of the way? Take us through those first few days. Uh, very quiet. Uh, when you're a young player, and when I broke in, there was a, uh, a pecking order uh, between, you know, older veterans and rookies. Uh, you, you didn't get on an elevator before a veteran. You didn't get up in a food line before a veteran. You didn't, uh, more or less anything. You you were a rookie and you were bottom of the barrel. You picked up pucks. You were the last people off the ice. Uh, you know, I'd, if something came in, if they brought a tray of donuts in, you know, you, you waited till every veteran had two donuts before you stood up and got one. So I was very quiet, uh, polite, um, and then simple, just go out on the ice and work hard and be noticed that way. Uh, you didn't want to be noticed through, through your voice. And there was always young players that came in, and you sat back and watched them burn themselves just by being loud, being obnoxious, being arrogant, being cocky. Veterans in those days did not appreciate that or like that, and those rookies found that out very, very quickly. When it came to either scrimmaging or doing things in drills, did you find yourself physically overmatched at first? What was that adjustment like? Um, probably, probably not, uh, simply because veterans back then didn't come to camp in shape. Um, like most, I know Mario's first day of training camp was the first day that he put skates on since the last regular season or playoff game that he played the year before. Players came into training camp to get into shape. Our training camps were longer back then. I remember they were three, four weeks and we used to have two a day. So uh, as far as the drills, I was I was young and in shape, so it was easier for me to go out there and stay with the pace simply because a lot of the veterans, you know, they were trying to lose about 5, 10 pounds at training camp to get into game shape. So that wasn't an issue. Um, old man strength was, was an issue. Players were bigger and stronger, and you could uh, really notice that on the ice, not in a gym, because a lot of the, the big, I remember, Dave Babbage, when I played with him in Hartford, I mean, I don't think he could lift a weight, but he might have been the strongest man I ever played with. 
just old man strength. So when you're on the ice with those guys, they grab you. You didn't move. So that was the biggest difference between a young player and an older player. The older player was just that much stronger and smarter. They were just, they had a little savvy about them. And you could tell that when they stepped on the ice, they know what they were supposed to do. As a rookie, you had to figure it out yourself. All right. And that that first camp, you got sent back to junior, right? It wasn't until the, the next year you stayed with the Penguins? Yeah, my first year I got sent back. Uh, I did actually start the season there. I was there for the first couple regular season games. I didn't play in any. Uh, and then I got sent back, I think, about... I think it was nine games into the Western Hockey League season. I don't remember exactly how many Penguin games I, I watched before they sent me back, but my second year is when I went there. And actually, my second year, Pierre Kramer was the coach, and he had called me into the dressing room and told me that he, he, they liked what they, I did in training camp, but they were sending me to Kalamazoo. And he told me, you go to Kalamazoo for about, you know, three, four years, and maybe someday you come up and play for the Penguins. And I told Pierre, I said, I can't do that. And he got mad at me, started yelling at me, who you think you are? Tell me you can't go down to the minors. I was like, no, 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 no. Pierre, I'm not old enough. I, I can't go to the minors. I have to go to junior. He, doesn't, he didn't believe me. And he's like, that's not true. I said, that's true, honest. So he went over, made a phone call, and he came back about five minutes later and goes, okay, Robbie, congratulations. You're on the Pittsburgh Penguins. And that's how I made the Pittsburgh Penguins. So I thought really wanted since the coach thought I was the number six centerman and thought I'd spent two, three years in the minors. And due to a, an age thing, he had no choice but to keep me. All right. So, look, we talk often, and everybody knows about your celebrated season in 88-89 where you had 115 points in 68 games. In 87-88, as a rookie, you played 51 games and had still had a really respectable total of 44 points. Did you ever play with Lemieux in that season, or who were your primary line mates that year? I did play with Mario a little bit. I My very, very first NHL game, I didn't play the first, uh, I don't know how many, it was four or five games of the season. And then Bob Airy, who ended up being my line mate for, for two, three years, he got injured. And I remember we were flying back from a road trip. I was in a car on the way back to town, and someone had told me that, uh, I think it was the assistant coach said, you're playing tonight and you're playing with Mario. And so my first ever NHL game, I got to play with Mario and I scored on my first and I scored on my second shot on net in my first game. So that I'm like, oh, not this hard playing in the National Hockey League. So I did get uh, my very first NHL game, two goals, two shots. And that was probably the reason that uh, I got to stick around a little bit longer. Well, and uh, you're still one of the uh, all-time, I think you're still 10th in shooting percentage when it comes to na a National Hockey League career. So it was a sign of things to come that almost everything you touched went in the net. So there you go. Uh, <laughs> Rob Browder. In, in both ends, unfortunately, some years. <laughs> well, you weren't actually shooting it directly into your own net. It was just your guy was often a little okay, more uncovered. Hey, I, was, I always yelled I had the goalie when I stepped on the ice and only once or twice the other team's goalie scored against us. So I had a pretty good year defensively. <laughs> you, you, you were checking the goalie. That's good. Uh, just looking. Well, you had pretty good plus, plus minus. Uh, actually, you know what? We won't, we, we won't talk about the plus <laughs> Hey, that's an outdated stat. stat. Yeah, exactly. it's an outdated stat. No, we we, we want to look up your Corsi. That's what we need to go, we need to go find out. Okay. <laughs> 
Well, uh, the, the Oilers have been holding their informal skates, so no coaches on the ice, but uh, you know, pretty well attended. They, they had 23 skaters, three goalies here the last couple of days. Well, actually, they had a couple of guys because Nurse and Hyman came back from the promotional stuff uh, in Toronto. Um, I don't know how much of the McDavid stuff you, you got to see or hear today, but the soundbite, I think, was uh, the time is now. He referenced adding some older guys like... Obviously, Keith and Ryan are in their 30s. CC and Hyman are in their late 20s. And, uh, you know, McDavid, Dreisaitl, Nurse, all in their mid-20s. You know, Nuge is into his late 20s now. It sounds weird saying that. And I, I was looking at the roster, Rob. By the end of October, once Bouchard and McLeod have birthdays, assuming they're both going to be on the team, the Oilers won't have anybody on the team likely younger than the age of 22, unless some young guy absolutely blows everybody away. And I'm not sure that that's going to happen. So... Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying they're Stanley Cup contenders, but I do think McDavid saying the time is now is pretty fitting. Well, when your star players are in the peak of their careers, you want to take advantage of that. And I think that's what Holland has gone out and done. He's gone out and got some older players. He's got some veteran players. He made the big signing of, of Hyman, which gives the Oilers two very, very good lines up front offensively. And they're saying, Let, let's go for it. This is, this is our opportunity. Uh, we're not going to continue to build. This is what they've been building for, for the next couple of seasons. And uh, I would imagine that the players like Connor and Leon, and especially R&H, are like, hey, it's not, a playoff berth is now what we expect. Uh, it's not something that we try to achieve. This is what we expect to be in the playoffs. But now we want to go on a run. And I do believe that the Oilers are now a legitimate playoff team every year for the foreseeable future. That is not something that, uh, as a fan, I think you need to sweat anymore. Uh, due to the team they have and the division they're in, this is going to be a team that's going to be a playoff team and contend for the division title, uh, again, for the foreseeable future each and every year. But now they want the, to use the season to prepare themselves for a long playoff run, see what players can do in certain situations, test these players. Uh, test a Bouchard early uh, and, and as he goes on through the mid, mid-season to see where he's capable of doing, what, where the lines are going to be. They're, they're now focusing on a run in the playoffs, and to do that, you test all your players in the regular season in, in high-pressure situations because you're going to need what we've seen in, in the playoffs over the last number of years where the Oilers haven't had success. Is these other teams have got big moments out of players that are not household names. The Oilers need that come playoff time, and that's why you use the 82 regular season, game regular season, to figure out which players can play in what situation, and that's what you're going to have come playoff time. You'll know that, and you'll have that in the back of your mind. To, I can play this kid now, or this guy here, I cannot put him in the situation that we need right now because we he proved it throughout the regular season. All right, I'll ask you about one more player. It's it's someone we've enjoyed watching, especially when he's really on his game because he can be really pesky and he has some skill, though he had a really up-and-down campaign this last year, and that's Kadri Yamamoto, who doesn't have a contract right now. Now, look, it's still a, a couple of weeks, uh, I guess a little over a week till training camp starts, so maybe something gets done. Does that concern you if he's not there for the start of, start of camp, that there is a, a delay or he comes in behind once they do get on the ice? Um, it, it would concern me if I was the player. Um, I, I, I always hated not being in the lineup at any time because I was afraid that whoever was in there ahead of me, whether I was out with an injury, healthy scratch, whatever, 
that someone that would take my spot would have so much success that I'd be forgotten. So if, if coming into training camp, if other players are going to get a step on you, if other players are going to be given the opportunity to play in the spot that you were expected to play in, and they knock it out of the park, well, all of a sudden, instead of coming back and being a top six forward, now you're maybe a top nine. Or maybe there's someone that that third line plays, well, now you're a top 12. You don't want to give anyone an opportunity to take something that you believe is yours. And uh, I would imagine the right side for Leon Dreisaitl is where they want Yamamoto to play. But if he's not there in training camp or, or going into a regular the preseason and then the regular season, or if he comes in late and is a step behind, someone else could seize that spot. And, I mean, Leon Dreisaitl is the scoring champion and, a, and an MVP in the National Hockey League. You don't want to give up that spot. So I would uh, be very nervous if I was that player of not having anything done and not being there for day one of the the training camp because there's a spot that he wants and that you don't give someone else a chance to stake his, the claim on that spot because I can guarantee you every other player coming to training camp would love to line up beside Leon Dreisaitl. Yeah, no doubt about it. Okay, Rob, thanks for checking in. Always enjoy the stories, uh, even going into... Where are we? I think we're going into our ninth season together. You still st- tell great tales that I have not heard before, so I appreciate that. Glad things are good in your world, man. We'll see you at the rink soon. Sounds good. Take care, Reed. That is Rob Brown. Yes, the former Pittsburgh Penguin, Hartford Whaler, Chicago Blackhawk, Dallas Star, L.A. King, and then a Penguin again. Our Inside the Game Alice here for Oilers broadcast on 630 Chat. 722. We're back after the break. Blue Jays down to their last out. Two out in the bottom of the ninth. They do not have anybody on base. Tampa Bay leads the game 2-0. Vladdy Jr. is coming up to bat. He's 0-3 for 3 today. Great to have Rob Brown on the show. I did not know that. Uh, the coach of the Penguins, Pierre Kramer, said, you're going to Kalamazoo, kid. You're going to the minors. Not knowing that Rob was too young to play in the minors. So as a result, Rob made the Pittsburgh Penguins. Had some pretty good seasons there. Connor McDavid has already had some pretty good seasons for the Edmonton Oilers. And we were talking earlier how McDavid commented that uh, the Oilers have added some veterans, some older guys who have been through the battles and uh, no better example than Duncan Keith. Here's McDavid on adding Keith. I like what he brings to the game. I like his intensity. He skates so well. Um, and he's one of those guys that that's, that's played in every big game there is to play in. So you know, he's obviously got a big, uh, big veteran voice, uh, his leadership in the room. And, you know, he's very determined. I think uh, just getting that sense from him, talking to him after the trade and, and all that, uh, seems like a very motivated guy. And I mean, like a, a motivated Duncan Keith on my team. All right, that's a little bit there from Connor McDavid. You can get more on his comments today by going to the Oilers page on 630chad.com or globalnews.ca, also a story I have up there on Ryan Nugent Hopkins, who was on this show last night speaking about hockey and about infinite patience, his horse that won the Northland's distaff at Century Mile on Saturday. They had a great day at Century Mile, million and a half, the uh, handle, a new record for Derby Day. All right. If you want to chime in, you can get me at 780-496-0063. That is the hotline presented by CertainTeed, professional-grade building materials, sports, and movies. We got a screenwriter, an Edmonton-based screenwriter, whose movie Cop Shop is coming out this Friday. That's all ahead in the next half hour of Inside Sports.
Trent Brown from James H. Brown on the show last week. Trent, the former safety for the double-E football team, and uh, he was optimistic going into the Labor Day Classic. He thought that the uh, Elks would be able to attack that sort of mid-range part of the field. And that really didn't happen, and he thought the Elks could uh, win it by nine, and unfortunately uh, that did not happen. Tough day for the Edmonton Elks, and now... They got a very good Winnipeg team coming to town. John writes in. He says, Reed, the Elks offensive line couldn't handle the Calgary pass rush, which is not nearly as talented as the Bombers defensive line. I hope Trevor has his health insurance paid up. Well, uh, I, I understand the uh, some of the pessimism. Now, as we go through the week, we put the last game behind us, and the next game does start 0-0. But Winnipeg's an outstanding team. They, they are clearly the class of the league. They did lose a game at Toronto, who's, who's beaten a couple of good teams this year. I mean, Toronto won in Calgary. They beat Hamilton. So I think, uh, I mean, I, I saw some power ranking that have them that has them as the second-best team in the league right now. But this is, uh, this is a, a step up in weight class, absolutely, for the Elks this weekend. J.P., writes in jp a uh, frequent caller to overtime open line who has uh do we call it an obsession with rob brown kellen is it a full-on obsession sure <laughs> that's fair a, enough uh, he certainly he certainly has a crush on rob there's no doubt about that jp simply says i need rob's autograph jp i believe that'll happen someday that rob brown will indeed provide you with an autograph Norm in a combine who won trivia a few weeks ago. He says, will the two games, uh, rookie games, be on Oilers TV or on Ched? They are going to be, well, Saturday's game is on Oilers TV. We do not have the rookie games on Ched because we have the football game Saturday night and we have election coverage on Monday. As a matter of fact, Norm, and I'm sorry to disappoint you, you will not even have inside sports on Monday. It'll be uh, all election all the time. And I will not be part of the election coverage because that would just be sad for everybody. Well, maybe there could be a sort of amusing ignorance associated with my involvement, but that's not going to happen. <laughs> so the uh, I, I believe what's going to happen is you can you'll be able to stream the uh, rookie game Saturday at five through the Oilers website. And then uh, I believe Jack and Bob are calling the game. I think Tony Brar is part of the crew as well. And then I would think on Monday the Flames will provide the stream, and uh, but I'm sure they'll provide it to the Oilers' website. So you'll be able to watch them, but we will not have them on Ched because of other broadcast commitments. We do have every other game this season, of course. Andy S., the carpet guy, he says, I want to encourage Kyler Yamamoto to sign with the Oilers. It may seem the Oilers are lowballing you. Oh, this is actually, he has written this to Kyler. Uh, I want to encourage... Kyler Yamamoto to sign with the Oilers. It may seem the Oilers are lowballing you in your contract negotiations. It's the business side of the game. Be sure, Kyler, of that. Many fans want you back wearing the Oilers jersey. I never get tired of your hustle and hard work. You brought the juice every night last year. Sign the ticket, Kyler. The Oilers need you. Well, hopefully Kyler's listening tonight, Andy, yes? And hopefully he hears your plea. Look, he's, he's going to be an Oiler. It's just a matter of when they get it done. Hopefully it's before camp. And Dino Bambino. 
sends me a note as well. He says, Reed, if you like Norm McDonald and you want to see the wittiest comeback of all time, you have to watch the seven or eight minute clip of Norm McDonald with Courtney Thorne Smith on Conan O'Brien. Watch what he says with about 30 seconds left after Courtney says the name of her movie. Conan laughs so hard he spins around on his chair. I have not seen that clip. As a matter of fact, I'm not even sure who Courtney Thorne Smith is, Kellen. Should I know who that is? I have no idea who that is. I'm going to get that I'm to Google not, right not now. Up, not up on all the uh, pop culture stuff. So let's, uh, well, the, when you start Googling it, the first thing is Courtney Thorne Smith and Norm MacDonald. So I'll have to watch this later. She, uh, she is known for playing Allison Parker on Melrose Place, a show I did not watch, and yeah, Georgia Thomas on Ally McBeal. And she was in Two and a Half Men. I know, I know nothing of this uh, actress. Okay. But anyway, yep, I'll have here. to watch that video a little bit later on. I didn't watch Melrose Place, believe it or not. I might have watched a couple episodes of Ally McBeal. According to Jim, uh, I did not watch that at Jim Belushi. Two, I never watched Two and a Half Men. I, I, I guess it was a wildly popular show. Uh, I watched, watched a little bit of it, but after that was in around the same time that Charlie Sheen was doing his, uh, well, I guess public mental breakdown. So he went a little, yeah, well, off okay. the deep he end. Went, he, yeah, he he went a little off. He got he got a little. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't know exactly what happened. I, I got this. I got the sense he didn't mind the attention. But what was it? Charlie Sheen was on the show. Mm-hmm. And then he was off the show, and was it uh, that? What, what's that? Uh, what's that young man's Ashton name? Ashton Kutcher. Kutcher? Yeah, Ashton from that Kutcher. '70s show. Another show I didn't watch. Oh, I love that '70s show. It was good. <laughs> I don't want. I don't watch a lot of non-sports television. It was good. Was. Ashton Kutcher, Mila Kunis, uh, Laura Prepon or Prepon. I am watching. I am currently watching. I'm almost done the third season. I'm watching Veep with Julie Louis-Dreyfus. It mm-hmm. ended a couple of years ago. It is outstanding. I absolutely love Veep. So that'll be my streaming television recommendation. I, what am I watching it on? I think it's on, uh, is it on Crave? I don't know. I have one of those remote controls where I just talk. And, do you have one of these, Kellen? I can just mm-hmm. talk into my remote control and it'll change the channel or bring up the show that I want. And then I just got to hit play. I don't. It's I still what, got the old school PVR from like the early 2010s where I have to load up the on-demand and cycle through on a directional stick, but that's about it. Right. Uh, this uh, an anonymous individual wrote in and says, uh, elections are like sports with unnecessary roughness and unsportsmanlike conduct. So see, maybe I could address that. They should have had me on after the debates, and I could have said, well, when this guy said this, you know, that would have been, that's the equivalent of a hooking penalty. Maybe that'll be the next uh, phase of my career. We are going to do something fun and a little different, but I think you're going to like it. Gerard Butler. Noted movie star is in a film that opens on Friday. It's called Cop Shop. So why are we talking about that? Cop Shop was written by someone who lives right here in Edmonton. His name's Kurt McLeod, and he's up next. The movie is called Cop Shop. It opens Friday. It was written by an Edmontonian screenwriter, Kurt McLeod, checks in. Kurt, welcome to Inside Sports. How are you doing? Good, Reed. How are you? I'm doing very well. Very cool to have you on the show. And, uh, you know, at, at times, Gerard Butler's films have been a source of content on this show. 
Um, oh, yeah. Some, some for the good, maybe some with a bit of a chuckle. Geostorm, <laughs> for example. But right. I, saw, I saw the commercial for Cop Shop and a buddy said to me, uh, yeah, the, an Edmontonian wrote that. So we, we tracked you down and, uh, and, and here you are. First of all, a little bit about yourself. Uh, tell us, you know, kind of what, what, you, what you do for, for a living and uh, how screenwriting became something that you were pursuing here. Yeah, well, I'm from here. I grew up outside of Edmonton in St. Albert. So I'm born and bred. And, uh, and, and when this movie, the production was announced back uh, in the fall of last year, I was uh, working as a financial advisor. And now I'm actually at a law firm at, at Field Law uh, Articling to become a lawyer. So I'm in a, the middle of that. So I have a very, a very normal um, professional day job. And, uh, and then the screenwriting is something um, I've done for, for a while. I actually worked in the film and television business before I went to uh, law school, you know, as a, as a grunt. And uh, got a little experience there, and then I decided to try my hand at, at writing the movies myself. And then this one, I, I did write the first uh, draft of it when I was in law school. And so, uh, so then I graduated, went into the professional world, and you know, there's been developments with it ever since. But it wasn't until last year that it got you know officially announced that it was going into production. So when did you have that very first idea for Cop Shop, or that first seed that eventually became Cop Shop? So the idea, the idea for the film, actually the premise of the film, um, in in Hollywood they call it a logline, or in, in movie terms they call it a logline. In this case, it would be Hitman follows his target into uh, a police station. That original premise was actually for my manager, and one of the reasons my manager had sent me a bunch of sort of premises for films was. Um, the first movie I wrote, which had gotten me some attention, it was huge. It was really a, an expensive undertaking and, and, you know, getting people to make a movie, uh, an original movie, you know, not based on any existing uh, IP for $200 million. It's really very unlikely these days. So the idea and the guidance was, hey, you should write something really small that could be made for really cheap, you know, utilizing mostly a single location with, with very few characters, just pare it down and be as minimalist as possible. Um, so it was kind of uh, that approach that uh, led me into writing the movie. And then it's, it's funny to me to see how that um, initial impetus to write a really small film has, you know, turned into this, um, this film coming out, which is much bigger in scale and, you know, budget and stars than, than I would have imagined originally. But it's amazing. And it's, it's uh, really exciting to see kind of how it's grown from that um, very simple seed. Okay, so how many other screenplays have you written or attempted to, you know, sell or get made? And what do you think ultimately separated Cop Shop from other attempts? Well, I, I would tell you, if there's anybody listening to this who's a who's a, um, a potential screenwriter who's trying to become a screenwriter to cover their ears, because I actually haven't written that many uh, screenplays myself. I've only written a handful. So, so um, I actually just am in the middle of my fourth screenplay. Um, Cop Shop was my second. So the first script I wrote, you know, got me some attention and got people interested in me. And then the second one was this movie coming out. And then the third um, is just kind of floating. It, it hasn't... Uh, I've gone out yet, I guess, as they say. So that's still in the pipeline. And then uh, the fourth one I'm just working on now. So it's, you know, I've been really lucky in the sense that I haven't had to write a ton of scripts um, to have this, you know, exciting um, thing happen of a movie coming out. But I also take forever. So because I juggle, you know, family and work life and everything, I do it not with any kind of sense of urgency, um, although I probably should have more now, but I just do it for fun. And obviously, 
under the hope that one day somebody will make um, something I write. Uh, but it's a very slow and kind of hobby-driven uh, process for me. Yeah. Okay. And so, uh, Kurt McLeod joining us on uh, Inside Sports tonight. He is the uh, screenwriter of the new film Cop Shops, starring Gerard Butler. So, when you got the word, okay, this is going to be made. Uh, I, I mean, to tie this into the the world of sports, is that your I've won the Stanley Cup moment, or is that okay? I've been drafted, but we still got to see how this goes. Like, what, what's the moment like where you, uh, you found out you got the green light, so to speak? It's a good analogy, Reed. That's actually the sports analogy is the one I use because the probabilities are so low. It, you know, it doesn't matter if you're a really good writer or you know if you're really good at hockey. The 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 first kind of message, which is, hey, this is for sure going into production, or at least plan to go into production. You know, at the start of next month, that's like getting tapped by the Yankees and saying, hey, we just we're going to sign you to a year contract um and you've never been you never played in the majors before so that it's that kind of excitement and then the 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 caveat i always put on it is it doesn't mean you've had a a 20-year hall of fame career but it's you know it's that big step into the big leagues and and it's more than just being called in for one at bat it's kind of it's substantive in a way that you could say hey yeah i, I played in the pros um but of course you can't say hey i had a successful or i don't think you can say hey i've had a successful professional sports career until you've you know done a lot more after that Okay, so who is this movie going to appeal to, do you think? Who's the, the fan base ultimately that, well, I mean, I know you want well, as many people to see it as possible, but I think you know what I mean. <laughs> it's broad. Well, I'll tell you the, the fan base that I, that I know it appeals to, and that's uh, Target, and I'll tell you the one that surprised me well. So I know it appeals to, you know, young men, middle-aged men, um, you know, some older men, but, but men who like those action movies, you know, Guy Ritchie films. I've heard that uh, that reference brought up a few times. So there's there's that uh, demographic which which makes a lot of sense to me, and and I know they're playing the ads lots in, in NFL games and things like that because people have been messaging me. Uh, people have been messaging me about that. But the uh, demographic which I also think it's going to play to, which I didn't foresee, is sort of middle-aged women and, and and older. So many of the sort of over 35 uh, women who. Uh, Many of the over 35-year-old women who I talk to who are aware of the film are, seem excited to see it because I think they have um, a crush on Gerard Butler. And I've pinned it to a movie called P.S. I Love You, um, which I know my wife loves, that came out a long time ago. And I think every woman who saw that uh, movie has, has had, you know, I wasn't aware, has had a, an affinity for Gerard Butler ever since. Okay. Well, there you go. That's a, that, that's a good reference. That's pretty cool. So... Now, I noticed from reading a little bit about the film, uh, you share screenwriting credit with with the director of the film. So yes. did you guys work together? Uh, Joe Carnahan is his name. Did you guys work together, or did he take your original uh, screenplay and put his own touches on it? How does that work? He took the script, and before they went into production, he um, and I think he did a good job of it, he um, added things, he expanded things, he changed some things. He made a bunch of revisions that, uh, you know, reflect what they were working with or what they were about to work with. And, and I think, you know, some good choices about, you know, it could be everything from the actor that got cast in a certain role to the location that they're shooting to the budget they have to shoot a certain action scene. Um, he made all those kind of smart decisions that, uh, that I think a director uh, makes um, before going into production, and so so all that input that he had uh, formed what was you know the final shooting script they call it, um, which really right down to the detail of of you know the make of the car that's going to be driven or the the way the window that's going to be smashed uh, looks sort of on set and includes all those details that when you're writing the um, 
you know, they, they say writing a script on spec, which is you don't know if anybody's going to make it. You try not to be too detailed about certain things that are going to be decided much, much later if you're ever lucky enough to um, have the movie greenlit. And so, um, uh, so the director, I think, in this case, did, did uh, a really good job of making those adjustments. Okay, so do you have any sense? Uh, you're you're going to see it this weekend, I think. Um, yes. Like, do you have any sense of how you're going to feel? Do you have any expectations? Like, is it possible just kind of to go in and just try to watch it, like, cold? Or, like, what? how do you think it's, it's going to feel? It's not possible. Um, I have, you know, what could only be described by somebody who hasn't been through this process before as a kind of heightened positive anxiety so or adrenaline so it's not you know it's not negative um but it's definitely sort of an anxiousness and excitement and um and i know kind of, you know i have such a nostalgia um for everything that happens in the movie and for the characters and you know their personalities it's it's you know personal for me um and so even though it's you know it's gone off to boarding school and and you know it, it's all these many many people have made decisions about you know what uh, hat this person's going to wear and those kinds of things. Um, so it's, it's, you know, my child has, has grown up, um, and become something, you know, interesting and new. It's still going to be very, um, it's still going to be very special for me, you know, just to sit down and, and see all that stuff, um, put up on screen because, you know, it's, cause I have a soft spot for, for the movie. Right. Well, Kurt, I mean, congratulations. This is really cool. Great story. You're a great story. And thanks for telling us a little bit about yourself as well. Uh, before I let you go, did, did I miss anything important? Should, should, should people know anything else about the film, about you, about screenwriting, about growing up in St. Albert? I don't know. <laughs> no, I think, uh, I think, you know, everybody go see the film. I don't, uh, you know, I'm not able to read reactions or reviews um, because as a writer, I'm a basket case, right? Um, so, uh, so, but I, but things do trickle in and stuff trickles in from people sending me messages and things like that. So, uh, my hope is just that everybody goes, enjoys the movie and, uh, you know, and, and thinks it was worth, uh, the price of the ticket and, uh, and, uh, just has a good time. Awesome stuff. Thanks, Kurt. Kurt McLeod. There he is. The Edmontonian screenwriter for cop shop that opens this weekend that was a fun interview you also heard from rob brown and willie jefferson and Derek moncrief of your edmonton elks who's expected to debut on saturday thanks for listening talk to you tomorrow Six thirty, chad inside sports with reed wilkins weekdays at six on Six Thirty, chad